Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day and welcome to The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 16th of March. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you with us and our two experts on the show today, Ben Clark from TMS Capital and Daniel Tizi from Stock Doctor. Welcome to both of you. And uh, wow, what another day of volatility we're seeing at the moment, obviously, in the wake of that news from, from Credit Suisse. Um, Ben, what, what are your thoughts about what you're seeing at the moment? Uh, you've been around for a while uh, yeah. without, you know, casting dispersions on your age. But um, <laughs> do you see similarities with previous previous financial crises? No, uh, this isn't a crisis. This is um, I, I, Credit Suisse seems to have a crisis every year or so. So um, and that's fed into the existing sort of um, stuff that we've seen going on in the US. But you know, I think what's happened is really this is all a big knock-on impact of what the Fed have done, really. It's um, the unparalleled rate of change of um, bond yields has started to catch some people out and some, some deposit-taking institutions out. And um, I think, like, to me, Credit Suisse has been a basket case for years and something has needed to be done about it for years. So we've seen the Swiss central bankers come out after the US market closed and said that they will um, safe backstop any liquidity issues. Um, but the banking industry globally is actually in very good shape and um, well capitalised. And um, aside from some of these regional banking issues, which I'm sure can be handled in America, I don't see some sort of case for you know, systemic risk or anything like that. Um, but the, 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 the million dollar question is going to be what Jerome Powell does next mm. week, because we still have, you know, higher inflation than they want to see. But now they do have an issue. And, uh, you know, you've now got bond markets have completely flipped. They're now pricing in some quite aggressive rate cuts this year. And that to me is more to do with the volatility we're seeing in the share market at the moment is everyone was positioned for rates to keep going up this year and now the bond market has gone bang and there'll be some massive losses that some pension funds and hedge funds have got um, and that's creative volatility in a lot of different asset classes as this works its way through the system but does jerome powell stick to his guns and take on inflation or does he accept that he's going to have to step back and see how this plays out. Yeah, that is the big question, as you say. Uh, Daniel, how are you viewing this and is it altering your investment perspective? Uh, look, similar comments to Ben there. I think just on the banking issue, it's not really an asset quality issue at the moment. So that's what we're seeing as the positive. It's not an issue of the underlying loans or underlying you know, property backing certain loans. It's more of a, an issue of treasury management. Um, really you know like ben said there's so many conflicting 
uh, issues going on here with bond yields coming down, inflation still too high, what will the Fed do? So we're probably still sitting on our laurels here, just trying to make sure that from a risk perspective, you know, we're managing our portfolio to the best of our of our ability. So we're trying to avoid companies that are essentially, you know, too risky or have too much leverage on the downside here. So that's what we're doing um, in terms of actively managing our portfolios. But the volatility is here to stay. Um, and you really have to be invested in either high quality businesses with re uh, resilient models, or you're going to have to be invested in cash or some type of other short-term um, liquid investment. There are only your two options here at the moment from our point of view. All right. So eliminating that risk, let's see how that applies to the stocks we're going to look at today. In the first half of the show, we're going to get across a couple of, a couple of lithium stocks, Core and also Allchem, uh, as well as Coles, ANZ and Rio Tinto. Now, our stock of the day is BHP. It has published an update on the UK civil liability proceedings in relation, this is in relation to the 2015 San Marco Dam collapse in Brazil, which killed 19 people and wiped out many villages. The case was initially denied, but then an appeal by the plaintiffs was ruled to be allowed, with the initial group action claiming for damages from around 200,000 Brazilians. That has now grown to 700,000 claimants seeking potential damages up to 36 billion pounds which equates to 65 billion australian dollars so the question is does that post post pose i should say risk as far as bhp is concerned with well many accounts i'm seeing today are saying that it's a limited prospect that this case will in fact succeed daniel um what risk does it pose to bhp and more broadly your outlook for the stock yeah, well, given the stock's only down, you know, I think a few percentage points today, clearly it's not a really material issue facing them at this point in time that could result in perhaps some increase in provisions, some increase in legal costs, etc. But, you know, BHP has the balance sheet to fund that. So we're not too worried about its, you know, immediate um immediate cash flow issues or anything like that at the moment. It's important to remember, Samarco is a 50-50 joint venture with Vale. So they're not entirely um, liable for the full amount. Um, just in regards to the company, how we're viewing it at the moment, I think we've mentioned a few times on the program that we've probably been lightening it, selling it in our growth portfolios. It speaks to our view of the iron ore market in general at the moment. It still is quite strong, you know, pricing at $130 per tonne. Just not sure if that's reflective of the underlying demand for steel and, and for the product at the moment. So we're probably a little bit more cautious on BHP, happy to take some profits here. We've been commenting that the dividend, you know, these are not dividend stocks. The dividend will not be as strong going forward. CapEx is rising pretty materially. So we're happy to take some profits here, probably across the board on, on iron ore stocks in general. All right, Ben, your view. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not a lawyer, so it's hard to really know. I, I think the the analyst notes I've read have sort of said very limited chance. The headline numbers always sound scary and, mm. you know, it'll change. This happened seven years ago now, and it could be another seven years until we actually find out how this does play out. I mean, Samarco was awful, what happened um, on the back of the tailings dam collapse. Um, but BHP has spent considerable amount of money already trying to help victims and villagers and stuff like that, not to say they're in the clear. I, I, to me, it's a buying opportunity. Um, I, I am more bullish on commodities. Um, I think the China reopen is still a very real um, investment theme. Um, it might have been lost for a little bit, but you know, I, I just think you're going to see a building boom coming out of the country as the the government there focuses back on the economy after three years in hiatus. Um, about a third of BHP's earnings will come from copper going forward. 
which we think looks really good over the, you know, with a decade long view, um, you're gonna need a lot of copper to decarbonize the planet. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's getting back into a really nice place to, to buy. It's obviously gone ex-div during this time. Um, and as Daniel was saying, you know, the, the share market is pretty efficient with these very large businesses. It would be a much nastier sell-off if, you know, the, the hedge funds and stuff thought this had any sort of credibility. All right. That's two different perspectives as far as BHP is concerned. So Ben buying and Daniel Lightning. All right, let's get into the stocks as picked by you. As I mentioned, the first couple of ones, we're gonna dive into the uh, the lithium space. So this one picked by Lily, Core Lithium. Uh, in fact, it's more than doubled its mineral resource at its deposit at its finest lithium project in the Northern Territory. Uh, and that's, uh, that's its second proposed mine. It is still awaiting um, development approval. So it extends its mine life. Uh, the question, I guess, is does it make a difference to its near-term earnings and valuation? Ben? Well, you know, a year or two, this would have been probably singled out as a real specky amongst us. But it's now, you know, it's, it's now producing lithium. Um, it will be highly profitable in the, in the year coming. I, mean, you know, I was looking at some of the analysts numbers on this. It's trading on a P of about six uh, forward and it'll pay a yield this year as well. So, but the, the thing you need to take into account is that the lithium price is on its 12 month low at the moment. It's actually fallen quite heavily in the last couple of months. And you will, stocks can be really cheap. Commodity producers can be really cheap. But if the underlying commodity that they're producing is falling in price, so will the share price. Uh, and so I'm going to say a hold just because I'd probably want to see some stability come back into that lithium price and, you know, sort of a sense that this correction in the price has played out. Um, but, you know, that like, it, it looks okay. You know, I, it, it's probably one you want to um, be a bit careful with because it is a single mine. They have advised that the production ramp up has been pushed out. They've got some cost inflation issues, as all miners do. It's not unique to them. Uh, but there's, I would say, Others I prefer in the lithium space, but if I was looking to buy this, I'd probably just wait and watch that lithium price. What are the others you prefer then? And we may well get to one in, the, in a moment. Yeah, well, mineral resources would be my top one. Mm. Um, and and it is one that we own. So, and you know, that's also had quite a decent uh, sell-off in the last um, week. So that, that, that'd be the top of my list. All right. Daniel, um, look, this is a space where you, you've uh, you kicked the dirt quite a bit here in uh, in lithium. I know in the past we've talked about this and you do prefer the producers. So how do you look at core? Yeah, we've, we're quite positive on lithium in the medium term. So we're happy to be in this space, but core's not the stock we'd be playing it in. I think they had that resource upgrade, but there are issues. I mean, if you look at the the quality of the resource, the deeper it grows, uh, goes the, the grade declines significantly um, and they've reduced that cutoff grade which naturally increases the amount of resource you capture in the pit so we're probably not as as positive on this company we think it's going to be a, a more of a marginal cost producer um, its costs are going to be probably tripled or quadruple that of something like a green bushes um, and the mine life is still quite short as well and it's still a 1.6 billion dollar company i know it's going to be profitable in the first year 
because the spodumene price is so high, but it's simply not the company we'd be looking to play um, in this space. Perhaps if you're looking for a high beta trade, you know, you might look at something like Core Lithium, but simply, you know, it's not it's not good enough quality for us in terms of its deposit. So we'd be much preferring uh, companies um, that we've spoken about and mm-hmm. one that we're going to come up on, on soon. So, yeah, we've been a sell rating on this stock actually and, and looking to allocate elsewhere. All right, so yeah, as you say, you do prefer the producers, but if you're looking, I mean, are there any ones you're considering then in the exploration or development space? Oh, look, not really in exploration and development. I think you're taking on too much risk and we know that, you know, lithium, it's it sounds like a simple mining operation, but the processing and, and the extraction is quite difficult. And we've seen issues with Mount Catlin with Allkeem. So if that's a company that's been in production for many, many years and, and going through grade declining and, and metallurgical issues, you know, we think that a company like Core is going to have, you know, pretty difficult issues ramping up as well. They've also had rainfall, so watering in the pit, which is never a good thing, takes a lot of time to dewater that. So we just think there's going to be too many operational issues and development is a very hard thing in mining, let alone in lithium, which is still quite difficult from the processing side. So I think we'd rather, probably rather take on, um, not take on that development and execution risk at the moment in a space which is already filled with speculation and probably too much froth still at the point in time. So we're not going to be entering in any of those at the moment. Okay. Well, in that space then, Daniel, move on from the specy aspect of it and something more certain. And as you mentioned, where you're looking in those that are producing already. So let's go to Allchem there. Um, and uh, well, once again, it's shares were sold off quite heavily in February along with many of the others. Um, That's despite a strong half-year result last month. What's your view on Allchem? Yeah, Allchem is one of our preferred players. And the reason why is it's benefiting from probably the biggest delta in the upside of production. So its production is probably going to quadruple or possibly even go up more in the next four or five years. And they've had those projects in development for quite a long time. So it's not as if it's been acquiring projects and trying to take advantage of the cycle. It's actually had these projects in the pipeline. Um, What we actually like the most about it is it's diversified across both spodumene, so hard rock and brine as well. So it kind of is naturally um, hedged against the two differences in things like carbonate and hydroxide and spodumene prices. You've actually seen hydroxide and spodumene holding up a little bit firmer than carbonate prices. The reason for that is because the LFP battery in China is mostly carbonate, which has been the most kind of contention from the EV sale demand in China. So that's why it's suffering the most fall. So we actually like all Kim. The Olaroz project is is really high quality. I mean, it's producing um, battery grade product less than $5,000 a tonne, selling it for almost 10 times that. So we think this is probably one of the better place companies and and one that we like its downstream um, optionality there as well. So we'd be looking to add to this and call it a buy on this weakness. All right. Interesting. Um, Just on that note, as far as lithium demand overall is concerned, Daniel, what are you seeing particularly in China? Because, of course, they did put the brakes on those subsidies. Are you expecting those to come back, though? Look, it's likely at some point in time there will be a reintroduction of subsidies, but we've spoken about this a few times, Andrew. There's a couple issues going through. So they have a few months excess um, demanded supply at the car yards at the moment, so they have to churn through that before the new orders are placed with the battery makers. So you're probably going to have to wait for this restocking period, probably another three or so months, for that um, supply to be eaten up at the car yards and new orders placed. 
you also have this issue where a lot of the traditional ice vehicles are being essentially dumped in China for, for quite low prices. Um, and that's obviously deterring demand from the EVs. So we need to see these issues be churned through. But regardless, there still is pretty good growth um, in this area going forward. So we think it's positive for the medium term, but there's just these few short term issues we want to see churned through. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Right, Ben, um, your take on all camp. Yeah, look, I, I would be much more positive on Orchem over Core Lithium. I, I, I completely, I only just heard the start of that, but um, I'd agree that uh, they're much better diversified geographically and across the different um, types of lithium. Um, a much more seasoned and experienced management team who have been operating great balance sheet. They've got about 500 million US dollars in cash on their balance sheet. So they're, they're you know, well funded to um, to fund the upcoming production growth that they've got there, um, and you know they're they're cheap. They're, they're they're trading on you know sub six times earnings. Again, like the, the the lithium price is falling, and you know that is a short term detraction. But the share price has come off pretty hard now, and you know I would say this is along with mineral resources. I'd say they're probably the two. For me, the two most investable in 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 this area, and um, you know if you've been waiting for a pullback to buy this one, now, now's the time probably to um, to step up and look to start building a position in it. So you'd be buying now? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay, good one. All right, so that is lithium. We had a couple of stocks there. Let's now go shopping at the supermarket and we'll head to Coles, um, picked by Jason. And uh, we were sore off the back of its uh, its half year results, uh, significant increase in its, uh, in its dividend. Uh, sales increased around 4%. Uh, earnings per share up more than 11%. Ben, how do you view Coles as a staple, I guess also in comparison with the likes of Woolies and Metcash? Yeah, uh, Woolies would be the number one pick, but uh, look, Coles, I think it's it's kind of where the market in these periods of volatility wants to be. Um, you know, it's defensive. There is some earnings growth coming out of the business. Uh, I think you know it's been well run, uh, particularly under under the new, not so new management these days. But Steve Kane's done a really good job there. Um, I'm going to say a hold because it's trading on 21 times, you know, 3.8% fully francs. It's it, you know it's attractive. It's not cheap. It's you know not overly expensive, I guess, for a business of this quality and this the market position they've got. Um, Woolies, Andrew, I, I, I probably do prefer. I just think there's a bit more optionality in that business of some new income streams that could come through. Um, really good management again. And, you know, Wes Farmers, which, um, you know, I, I know I'm going a bit off script there, but that, that's, that's the one I'd really pick if, um, if I could pick one, which still retains a small interest in Coles. All right. What, why, what, what about, what is it West, West Farmers that you're actually interested in? Well, um, without wanting to harp on about lithium, <laughs> yeah, right, okay. <laughs> because um, you know it, we, we have spoken about it. One, one thing I took out of the West Farmers earnings call was um, they bought a, a, a company called uh, Kidman Resources mm. just before COVID, and once it went into the the West Farmer mothership, we you know we really didn't hear much about it until until this couple of weeks ago in the result. And for the first time, we've had a comprehensive update in terms of where this asset is up to. It'll start producing next year. Um, we're going to get a full year earnings contribution in 24, 25. 
it's got a bit of the hallmarks of mineral resources, you know, like a year or two out before their two lithium mines came on, the market was really ignoring it. And, you know, I was trading on a, you know, an earnings that reflected the iron ore mining services business. And then as we got closer to those earnings starting to drop in, the share price mm. just took off. Now, with Wes Farmers, it's not gonna be as material, but you know, I've seen some analyst research that reckon that Wes Farmer's share of Mount Holland could earn one and a half to two billion dollars of EBIT for the for the Wes Farmers business, which is fifty percent of the um of the EBIT of the mine they operate with SQM. So to me that's not priced in the share price at the moment. And I, I think it's gonna incrementally be as we get closer. All right, we took a bit of a tangent then, but nonetheless, we did. Good to get your view on West Farms. Buy on West Farms, hold on, Coles. <laughs> right. Okay, Daniel, your view on Coles. Yeah, very similar sentiments to Ben. I think, you know, boring and defensive is good to hold in this market. So we're happy to hold it, certainly. The yield is a little bit smaller and it's benefiting from that food inflation story, but also it's benefiting from the down trading. So consumers are starting to buy those cheaper Coles branded products, which of course are higher margin for them. So we see that as a positive. We also like um, Woolworths and Wes Farmers probably better. Um, and just to, just to tag onto those comments, Mount Holland deposit, which is uh, which, which um, is Wes Farmers' lithium mine, is a fantastic deposit, probably one of the best we're going to have in Australia. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity as well. And um, they'll be making a lot, a lot of money out of that in the next few years. So we'd call that a bonus buy also. Bonus buy, okay, with West Farmers as a result of its lithium stake. Uh, and what, so you got a hold on Coles? Yeah, hold on Coles. I think probably the yield is just simply not attractive enough for us to be buying now. Um, and the earnings growth probably low single digits. So we're just happy to hold it. All right, good one. All right, let's get into the banks, given the, the focus at the moment, certainly globally, and I guess questions about the stability of uh, the local banking industry, but not too many concerns that would appear here uh, based on the four pillars. And one of those, of course, is ANZ. Um, so uh, I guess the question, and this is coming from Kenny, Daniel, is um, of those big banks, um, how are you rating ANZ at the moment? Yeah, ANZ, the thing that's probably separating it from the other big four is that it's going through the proposed merger of Suncorp. Now, what that will do is if that merger goes through, they're probably going to have to spend about $700 million in integration across the first few years. So that might impact uh, margins, might impact profitability there. So I think if you're willing to take on that kind of merger risk, then, you know, ANZ is a standout because it is trading on a, a bit of a, a yield discount here, around 6 7%. And the asset quality is still quite strong. And they've sorted out a lot of their issues that they had in the past few years in terms of um, the mortgage application process, which they were simply just behind the other big four. So we think this the value is probably, you know, relatively attractive. We understand it's going through that peaking and NIM story and competition is re-entering the market quite strongly. Um, but we think the banks is a decent area to be um, holding and, and, and you know, relatively hiding in, given that their asset quality is quite good exposed to Australian property. So we still see some value to be extracted there as long as you're comfortable with the merger risks. So that is a hold? Yeah, we'd call it a hold. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in buying it, I, I don't think we'd be against it. But, you know, we're probably seeing more opportunity elsewhere. So we'd be comfortable just holding it for now. Okay, so sorry, what would your preferred bank be? I think ANZ or possibly even um, a CBA here on the pullback, just because it's such a superior quality bank. Mm. Um, but ANZ certainly from the other three is a bit of a standout. Okay, all right, Ben? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll be a bit more bullish. Um, I reckon this is a good opportunity to, to buy some banks. ANZ would not be the one I would buy, but I'm going to put a buy on it anyway because I think they all look, you know, sub 10 PE now. Um, 7% fully frank yield looks pretty good to me. Uh, I think, you know, the banks to me like are going to range trade for some time because I think the economy is going to be in a bit of a sinkhole for a little while. And, you know, I think there'll be periods where the market worries about the banks and periods where they think they're going to be okay and that yield gets more attractive again. So um, NAB and CBA would be the two that I would buy. You know, NAB, I think, you know, business is still pretty strong in Australia and the business banking side really stands out. I think Ross McEwen's done a great job at NAB. Um, CBA is the gold standard and is probably the first one you should buy. Um, and um, yeah, look, I, you know, I think, as Daniel said, there, there's issues the banks are facing that everyone is aware of and it's well and truly priced in. But we are not going to go down a path that the Americans and the Europeans, you know, have gone down at the moment. We're not going to see losses in confidence and bank runs and stuff like that around the Aussie banks. So to me, this global sort of risk off and particularly in banks is probably a pretty good opportunity to um, to buy, chip a bit of money into. What's your view of those so-called regional banks then? Certainly the smaller players, here, yeah. the likes of Bendigo and... Yep. And co. That's a good question. I mean, typically don't like them. I just think that it's a completely uneven playing field and they're on the wrong side of it. They need to, they hold a lot less cash on deposit, so they're more reliant on wholesale funding markets to fund their loan books. And they have to pay more in interest to those wholesale um, funding markets to borrow that money. So they always will make lower margins. They've probably got a bit more questionable credit quality because I think, you know, you find and, and you know, they I think they tend to have to offer sharper rates to get consumers wanting to go to them, probably underinvested in tech over the years. So I don't know, like at a time like this, you probably get a bit more interested in them because they, they also have got more like there's more beta to the sector. Like if the sector recovers, they'll probably recover faster than an ANZ or a CBA will because they've, they've sold off harder, but they're not the ones I would want to own for another three or five years. Are you seeing any risk at the moment with uh, the property market? No, I, you know, I, I, I think I'm more bullish than most, uh, mm. I would say. I, I, yeah, I, you know, it's going to be a tough year or two, but um, <laughs> gets back to central banks. Like, you know, you, you look at the bond market, it's now saying no more rate hikes in Australia and potentially a rate cut before the end of the year. Mm. That's supportive for the property market. You know, I don't think we're going to suddenly take off again or by any means, but maybe it just gives people a bit more confidence. Um, we start to see volumes recovering, those sort of things. But um, look, I, you know, where rates have got to, yeah, they've gone up really hard, really fast. But I think, still think for most Australians, it's manageable. Um, yep. And I don't think we're going a whole lot higher from here. All right. Okay, Ben. Well, let's. Uh, we're going to head into commodities now with Rio Tinto and Ben. You've already said you're bullish commodities. Mm. So um, just looking at Goldman Sachs, in fact, uh, saying that those Rio shares are in a buy zone yeah. at the moment. Compelling valuation, return to production in 23. Um, so how do you view Rio? It's kind of similar to ANZ for me, Andrew. I, I think it is a buy, but it's not the one I would buy first. You know, BHP would be the one and Deterra would be a, a second one for me if you're looking for a pure play iron ore um, exposure. R Rio is um, predominantly iron ore. And so you've got to be a bit more wary of it, I think, versus a BHP, which has got that copper diversification and some other stuff 
there. I mean, Rio does produce some copper, but it's less meaningful. Um, I think the management of, of BHP has been stronger than Rio, but look, it, it, it's out of favour. It's had a decent pullback. It looks cheap. It's trading on 10 times and a 6% fully frank dividend yield. And I'm, you know, I, I think China, like, I don't think the iron ore price is suddenly going to fall over because I think China is going to be building aggressively in coming years as it comes out of COVID. So, um, you know, it's probably a buy, but it's not the one I would buy. All right, Daniel. Yeah, similar comments to Ben. You know, it's probably not the one we'd be looking for. We are a little bit more bearish on iron ore in general. But I'll just probably give a few comments on why Rio can be a bit of a headache for analysts, especially in the resource sector. I mean, you've got a copper district in the middle of the desert in Mongolia. You've got DLE lithium extraction technology being investigated. You've got this iron ore project in Africa, the Samandu project. So there's a lot of really difficult distracting projects going on there. Now, what they've benefited from is that essentially they've just been underinvesting in the Pilbara. So they haven't spent much in terms of growth in capex at all so they've been benefiting from that from a free cash flow perspective but as that ramps up in the next few years you'll certainly see their returns to shareholders decrease so i'd probably be a little bit more bearish on rio as a whole i'd, I'd be happy to sell it here um and like ben said i think deterra royalties is, is the standout in the iron ore space it's such a such a you know free cash flow machine and that's actually got the highest beta and growth in productions going from 120 million tons to you know approaching 140 150 out in mining area c so that's one we like we just really don't want to see an acquisition be made there we just want the dividends to come through there so that's the only caution from us um, but i guess that would be our, our bonus buy for from this stock yep all right good one yeah ben is that do you agree with that as far as yeah. the terror is concerned one of our larger holdings mm. um uh, i did a lot of work on it when i spun out of aluka i reckon it's one of the more amazing businesses I've come across in terms of its financials that, you know, its return on equity and some of these things we look at. Completely agree with Daniel. Like, I, I think it owns probably the highest mining royalty you'll find anywhere in the world. And um, you, you don't want to see them go and water down the quality by feeling the urge to buy something else. And, um, you know, so I'd look at that pretty carefully. If, if that change, maybe our view changes. But for now, Great dividend yield. You've got BHP ramping up the MAC, which is this royalty they get over, and it's it, we we hear it could run above where they think it. Um, the engineers initially thought it could run to, so you know it, it, it looks really good to me. All right, good one. Well, let's uh, sum up the first half of the show. Our stock of the day was in the commodity space with BHP, given the news there that. Uh, that uh, that case in the UK is possibly back on as far as some 700,000 Brazilians looking uh, to make a claim in the wake of that um, San Marco dam collapse back in 2015. So whether that has a material impact is uh, yet to be seen on BHP. Nonetheless, uh, overall looking at what's going on, given it is the big miner, Daniel, as we've heard, is more bearish just as far as commodities are concerned, uh, does worry a little just about what's going on in China, so he's lightning BHP. Whereas, um, well, Ben effectively takes the opposite view. There, he is buying, seeing the opportunity there, more bullish on commodities, and particularly a likely boom out of China. Um, as those stocks picked by you, well, we began with a couple of lithium stocks. So the first one being Core, a little more speculative, uh, given it's still sort of kicking the dirt at this point, uh, and. Um, 
as a result, well, Ben has a, a hold on it. Uh, he does prefer mineral resources. Uh, Daniel, he'd be selling it and uh, looking at um, perhaps the likes of uh, mineral resources or Allchem, which was the other one we were looking at. Um, that is his preferred lithium play, given its diversity there. Ben also having a buy on it and that uh, pointing to the fact that it is uh, um, certainly diversified. Um, then we went into Coles, um, of course, one of the big supermarket players. Uh, ben, he's got a hold on it. Uh, we took a bit of a tangent here because it does have a stake in West Farmers and both Ben and Daniel liking West Farmers, uh, not from its retail aspect, but again, from its lithium stake in Mount Holland, which they're both seeing as having significant upside there. Um, Daniel's saying, yeah, Coles, uh, boring, defensive, but he'd certainly take a hold on it. Um, both actually prefer Woolies over Coles. As far as the banks are concerned, which of course are in the news, ANZ, uh, Daniel has a hold on that. He prefers CBA on a pullback, uh, likewise with Ben, but he's saying that there's a good buying opportunity across all banks at the moment, given what's happened most recently. And finally there, Rio Tinto, a buy from Ben. Um, Daniel, in fact, has a sell on it, but both liking Deterra. All right, so, Let's get into the Calls uh, Own High Conviction Fund, picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the update. We're going into March. Seven Group and Janison Education were removed. Mineral Resources trimmed and MA Financial and Austal were added to the portfolio. And just in terms of performance, the fund is up just over 7.5% on a cumulative return basis since its inception in March last year. All right, so keep sending in requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at CMC markets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Well, the ones we're going to be looking at next, DeGray Mining, Domain, Seven West Media and Seven Group and Karoon Energy. All right, so let's go uh, kicking in the resource space again, this time with DeGray, uh, picked by Jimmy. Uh, it's in gold exploration. It's a development um, it, uh, its main project there being in the Pilbara, seen as perhaps a potential uh, acquisition target. Ben, gold, it's going gangbusters it's right now, going, isn't it? It's going, and understandably it's going, and I think finally gold has shaked off the crypto thing. You know, like there was periods over the last few years where you'd expect gold to be strong and it wasn't. And I think a lot of money was going into things like Bitcoin, instead but gold seems to be starting to behave a little bit more how you'd expect it to uh, so i guess at the moment um, you know there's there's an attraction to gold to graze um, it's a hold for me and and not one that i you know i know a whole lot about but i had a quick look at it 160 million cash that's good gold road is sitting at a 20 percent stake that looks suspicious and probably alludes to the takeover activity potential you're talking about there andrew um, they've made a big gold discovery in wa but they are still some ways from production so they've done a i think they're yet to do a dfs 
and then we'll have some more time until you know this mine actually starts to produce gold and just looking at every other miner um, across the country they are all going through development uh, um, um, pushbacks and cost blowouts as they get closer to production so that's something i'd be a bit wary of with degray if i was interested in gold i probably want to be in someone that's actually producing gold at the moment um, but it does look like a, a you know a solid resource that's still got the room to grow quite substantially it's in a great jurisdiction it's very close to um uh, to port headland so i'm going to go hold all right when you say you prefer what one of the producers what at the beginning what like the likes of northern star or, yeah i guess so yeah. yeah i mean newcrest is kind of under bid at the yeah. moment so that's a bit difficult so northern star is probably the next sizable one um having said that to me now is not the time you buy gold stocks you know the gold price has kicked we've had a shock to the system I understand why people would feel comfortable buying gold stocks but to me now's the time you get interested in buying you know the stuff that's been sold off as a result of this mm. that you don't think is going to be impacted by it okay Daniel your view on degree yeah, very similar comments on gold as, as a whole and in general. We spoke yesterday, Andrew, actually about trying to be counter-cyclical. So the time to buy these gold stocks is when they're out of favour. Um, so it'd, it'd be very difficult to be buying them today. Look, in terms of the company and its deposit, it's probably one of the best gold discoveries that we've had you know, in decades in Australia. Um, you talk about tier one or world-class you know, uh, deposits in development. This is over 500,000 ounces for at least 10 years um, at a pretty reasonable cost, about 1,500 Australian all and sustainable cost. So it's a great project and there's been a lot of funding interest here, which is very positive, obviously. They can probably take on around seven to $800 million of debt. So with the next two, $300 million in equity raise, you know, we think they can get it um, funded and developed quite comfortably. And we do find that 20% interest by Gold Road interesting. You know, they aren't typically a developer or an operator of assets, Gold Road. They actually have the 50-50 joint venture in the Gurrier mine where they just hold the financial interest. They don't operate. So we were just wondering what's going to happen there. Potentially, they'd like to get involved, but not from the, you know, the development and operational view. Um, so we see some possible um, activity going on there. But we think it's a really quality deposit and a quality company, but probably not the right time to be buying for us. But we'd, we'd be rating it as a hold, I think. All right. Good one. So you're not considering any gold stocks at the moment then as a result? Look, not at the moment. And, you know, I've been pretty vocal about this. They're not doing well operationally at all. I mean, many of them are showing cash flow. But if you take away some of the growth capex there that is just getting inflated away, you know, there's, there's really nothing coming back at the bottom line to cash. So that's what we want to be seeing at the moment. We want to be seeing, you know, commodity companies at the top of the cycle spewing out free cash flow but you know a lot of those companies aren't doing it so we're probably pretty negative on a lot of those majors and we think a company like evolution with high gearing considered you know a gold favorite we think there's a lot of troubles there so we're, mm. we're staying away from the top end what about physical gold would you be buying that you know, physical gold, I think it plays a part in multi-asset portfolios, but for an equity investor, you know, it's probably not something you'd, you'd really consider as an option. I mean, there's holding costs there, there's fees in ETFs, so you, you're already getting your alpha eroded. I mean, if you're interested in that, you'd probably look for, you know, a multi-asset manager, which is going to go across asset classes. Um, I just think it's probably not, you know, the greatest investment. Um, you know, you probably just prefer to have it in cash, yielding 4 5%. 
So I don't think physical gold is that attractive for, for retail and, and direct equity investors. All right. Thanks for that. Let's get into domain now. Uh, this one picked by Mitchell. Uh, it is that real estate marketing uh, giant. So well, one of the two, I guess, main ones here in Australia. Uh, but of course, it's facing those challenges, as we know, within the property sector at the moment. Um, and uh, those challenging uh, conditions have actually saw its last results. Uh, revenue was up 6.5%, but NPAT fell almost 39%. So uh, how do you see this one then, Damien? Yeah, I think domain, we're probably a little bit you know, negative on this one too. It, relatively, it is a high quality company and they have a great product. It's number two to REA, but it still is a great product. I think there's a bit of a misconception, whereas people think oh, bro, um, real estate agents will not use domain and just focus on REA. From the feedback we've been hearing, it's that both platforms are important, particularly in New South Wales, they're actually getting more interest through the domain platform. So we think it is a quality business, but the price you're paying is still quite high, even though it's fallen in half. And it does have a bit of debt on the balance sheet. And like we mentioned with its uh, its earnings result, the cost base is a lot more leveraged than REA. REA has a lot more control over that cost base and the margins are much wider because it's a more mature business. So we think at this point in the cycle, if you're looking for an opportunity wise, you'd probably be leaning towards REA. I still think domain is, is still a little bit... Um, you know, on the inferior side from that margin protection story. I think EBITDA margins fell from 40% to about 26%. You know, costs rose 20%. So, you know, we're, we're probably not liking that story at the moment. Um, and if you are interested in the in the um, sector, you'd definitely be playing REA. So a hold or you're actually selling it? Oh, we'd be a sell. We, we've sold our exposure in REA, um, you know, a few months ago at higher prices because we we're a little bit uncomfortable with the active risks and we've spoken about you know in this market you don't want to be taking too much earnings risk mm. a company like domain you know that cost base we're just a big concern so we'd be selling it all right and apologies daniel i called you damien my mistake <laughs> i actually saw a damien on my sheet uh i'm sure you'll forgive me all right uh ben domain um i'm going to say a sell as well uh but i'm I'd be pretty bullish on REA. So sell mainly because I think there is a much higher quality business in the same space that you can own. Um, and although REA and Domain do seem to go sort of fairly head to head in the in the key sort of Sydney market and in New South Wales, if you go beyond that into Victoria, um, ACT, Northern Territory, WA, REA is the clear market leader. Um, you know, there's a lot of stats I could reel off, which basically says if you're not on REA, and they, they do say themselves, if you're not on REA, you know, I think it's like two out of every three um, people who are looking to buy a house don't know your house is for sale. So mm. you kind of, you've got to be on it. I think it's it's better managed. I, I, Daniel's right with that cost base. It is much more flexible and it's important because listing volumes can be quite volatile. And so they can flex their cost base with the listing volumes volatility. Um, now's the time, I reckon, because listing volumes have been awful. You know, the, the, with the run-up in interest rates um, and the slowdown in the property market, we've seen everyone sitting tight. And mm. everyone you speak to is looking maybe to getting interested in buying a place. There's mm. just nothing for sale. And everyone who's thinking about selling is just sitting on their hands because they're thinking it's all awful. But again, So what you were the view, perhaps at the bottom then? Well... I think there's signs that house prices are already rebounding across the country. I don't think that's going to just continue higher. But I think if the RBA is very close to the peak in the rate cycle, 
the, the, the property market, what I'm talking about is volumes here, should start to normalize. People start to get comfort, okay, that's, that's what the mortgage rate's gonna be mm. if I buy, and this is what I can afford. Um, sellers, I think, will start to see other options that they can repurchase, and I think you see a recovery in volumes, and that's really what matters to REA. They, they've always said, we don't want a hot housing market, it's actually not good for us, because people tend to sit on their hands a bit, um, and we don't want a bad, really bad market. We want just nice and stable grinding market. That's t- tends to be when you get the nice volumes coming through, and that's where they make their money. And I think also with REA as opposed to Domain, there's there's a lot of optionality under the hood. You know, they've got this Indian business, which is looking increasingly interesting. How quickly it's growing, it's the number one player now in a in a country with 1.4 billion people. Um, you know, it 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 does look. It, this could be a substantial business mm. in five to ten years, and it's ha- it's got that um that uh, move business in America, which um, had a semi takeover bid recently. Um, you know, which from all accounts, they that's fallen over. But you know, we we're looking at maybe getting six hundred million dollars back from it. Um, so I'm going a buy on REA, but a sell on domain. Right. Yes. Okay. That's a double sell on domain. All right. Let's now get into the media. Seven West Media, not to be confused with Seven Group. In fact, we're going to do both. We're starting though with Seven West Media. A ticket code SWM has those combined digital assets in news like the Seven Network, the West, and so on. Um, ben, is that a space you want to be in at the moment? Uh, no, but um, the market knows that. So mm. cyclicals are really hard. I, I've always found them myself not a great investor in cyclicals. You know, these businesses tend to yo-yo between awful times and amazing times, and you, you need to buy them in the awful times and sell them in the amazing times. And everyone tends to get carried away at the top and the bottom. And, you know, I, I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone, the notion that it's gonna be a very tough advertising market, I think over the next year or two. But the market's, I think, well aware of that. The, the stock's trading on a PE of four. Um, and it's got a bit of debt, um, which probably isn't ideal, but it's not, you know, like the debt to equity debt to EBITDA is like less than one times. It's it's the clear market leader um, in its in its space by market share. Uh, however, um, you know I've got a good mate of mine runs an advertising agency, and he he believes that the Netflix move is a game changer. In that, um, you know, if I'm Kellogg's and I'm wanting to advertise, and I'm picking between um, you know the news and. Mm. Um, you know, um, the Ozark, uh, when he can push that ad through that platform with all the benefits in the actual eyes that you're seeing, Mm. um, he feels, um, and he's definitely someone to listen to, that um, you're going to see substantially more of what is a fixed pool. It's not a growing pool. It's much more targeted, isn't it? It's much more targeted. And it's, you know, so if you're looking at targeting 20 to 30-year-old males who are single and live in a certain geographic area, Mm. every your ad is only going to be seen by them and that's you yep. know one of the beauties that the streaming platforms can bring so um i that's i think a going to be a longer term headwind but four times earnings i'll say a hold it's cheap yeah okay all right you hold on for that very reason daniel 
Yeah, this is a really tough one. I think the biggest detriment of retail investors is just looking at that PE ratio and thinking it's cheap and now's the time to buy, um, when in actuality, you know, that's a very, very dangerous game. This is similar to domain in that margin story. So a reduction in advertising revenue will be felt in the P&L and in the bottom line in a big, big way because it is a high you know, fixed overhead business. Um, and they also have, still have a, a pretty big amount of debt on the balance sheet, over $200 million. So it's something that you have to consider um, you know what? Not what is the PE ratio now, but what will you know the potential margin and potential story look like in 12 months if that advertising revenue pulls back? So we see a lot of risk here. Another thing is that you know you have to give credit to the company sometimes because they've actually grown the digital segment from about a half year um, profit of around three million in 2019 to around 80 million last year. So they've done a great job in trying to um, push their, their move to digitizing the business. Um, so we, we potentially might see it as a higher quality company coming out of the cycle um, back into the advertising um, boom. But for now, you know, we, we'd be out of the stock. I think it's very, very difficult to be holding this one at the moment, um, given that leverage to the downside in the, in the cost base. All right, I'll take that as a sell then. Yeah, sell and and protect your capital in this market, Andrew. All right. Okay. So to that related stock then, Seven Group, which obviously you can see the confusion there. That's this is the diverse uh, diversified investment company. Uh, Kerry Stokes being you know the main player here, uh, but has interests what oil, gas, equipment hire, and also got a stake in Seven West at the same time. Um, so. Daniel, how do you see Seven Group then as opposed to what we've just been talking about? Yeah, this is a company we, we quite like. I think it's an underrated business. I mean, to, to focus on its two core segments, that's Coates and Westrack. Um, Westrack obviously is the is the reseller of um, Caterpillar um, products in WA. And that business has changed since the last mining cycle. So it's gone from a capital equipment and sale business to a, a maintenance and machine repairing and parts business quite quite quickly. And that's obviously much higher quality revenue, you know, arguably more recurring. Um, but you have to understand it, it is, you know, peaking in the cycle at the moment. So it does look cheap. It does look like um, growth is coming through, but you just have to little be, be a little bit aware but in terms of coming out of that cycle on the pullback, this is one that's high on my list um, for a buying opportunity because Westrack is, is a fantastic business. Coats, you know, I'm pretty sure everyone in Australia would have seen one of those yellow signs out there in, in some traffic work or something along the lines of that. Their asset utilization has been growing, which essentially means a lot of that profitability goes straight to the bottom line because they've already invested the capital in those assets like the signs, etc. So we do see a great business here. We're a little bit concerned with the debt position. They recently did the borrow acquisition, so debt's a little bit heightened at the moment. That needs to come down, um, and we want to see probably a little bit of a pullback because it is a very cyclical company, but one that we'd love to own at some point in the cycle for sure. Okay, so buying opportunity, but not yet. You're waiting. Not yet, yep. Yep. Okay, Ben? Yeah, I I agree with a lot of those um, comments, uh, you know, valuation is trading on 11 times and um, it did just upgrade its its full year earnings guidance at, at a strong half yearly result. Um, I think the Coates and Westrack business could be a bit more resilient than they have been in the past just because there's a lot of infrastructure spend from government that's going to continue to flow kind of semi regardless of what the economy does over the next year or two. Yeah, there might be a bit of a cyclical pullback in some areas, you know, building construction sort of comes to mind. But 
there's a lot of projects that have already been signed off on and going ahead. You just go through the city at the moment, you know, there's cranes and projects everywhere. Uh, so, you know, maybe the, the tail of that flows a bit longer than markets. So, you know, I think mar- the market's cynical about these sort of stocks at the moment. They see a slowdown coming, the stocks have got cheaper, but, you know, maybe they're a bit more resilient. So I'm gonna go buy. Um, mm. uh, look, the Boral acquisition, not so sure about that. The energy part of the business is out of favor at the moment. The oil price is, um, has been hammered. So it's not like the whole group as a whole is doing well. You know, they own a chunk of Seven West. That's going to be a challenge. But th- those two key growth engines, I think, look okay. All right. Okay. So that's Seven Group. Well, you mentioned those concerns in regards to energy, Ben. So let's get on to our last stock, which is Karoon Energy, uh, picked by David. Um, it's what oil and gas exploration and production uh, just achieved first production from its well in the Patola oil field in Brazil. And as you just said, we know where that oil price is going at the moment. Yeah, down. Uh, and yeah, look, Karun is not a stock I'm going to be an expert on. I think you've got to be pretty specialised to understand not just the field that they're trying to develop out. The, you know, the, the jurisdictional issues like Brazil's, I, I saw just slapped a, a royalty fee um, on oil producers in the country. So that's that's an issue. Um, the thing when I looked at it, like on face value, it looks extremely cheap with upside. You know, they're producing at 17 bucks a barrel. Um, you know, they're trading on kind of three, but that'll move around all over the place three times. Uh, They've got a lot of cash. They've got 160 million US dollars in cash. That's a tick. Um, but what I didn't like was that at that half yearly result, they reported operating cash flow of about 170 million US dollars. That, you know, that given the market cap, that that's, seems good. But they spent 145 million US dollars on 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 um, on growth capex. You know, so it's, it's it's what Daniel was talking about earlier. You know, you you, you want. My, you want to be in mining companies where that cash flow is coming back and it's not getting all pumped back into the company on a hope that it's going to grow you know mm. and this is i think an issue with a lot of oil and gas stocks and i'd say woodside as well is that um the too much money has gone back into projects which haven't turned out to be as economically viable as they probably were at the time and I think that's one area that BHP and Rio have really, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, that's when the, the share price re-rating started was when a clear message and a follow through from management was, we are gonna harvest these projects and we're gonna pass that money through. And, and the re-rating happened almost immediately after that. So Karoon's difficult. And um, for that reason, I'm gonna go a hold. I'm sort of sitting on the fence there. I'll probably be a sell, to be honest, because um, I think that the oil price has been hammered. But you know, you've know, you got discovery potential, you've got exploration that's happening, you've got the ability to grow a field. All manner of things could happen with this share price. All right, Daniel. Yeah, very similar sentiment there to Ben. You know, it does look incredibly cheap and their production's growing quite rapidly. But I think at this point of the cycle, especially with energy companies, we prefer to be in the companies that are returning the capital. So a lot of money is going back into reinvestment. And one part of the bull thesis for Karoon, you know, going through the oil 
um, price rise was that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for M&A acquiring smaller unloved assets in Brazil from the likes of Petrobras, etc. That's actually reversed. So they're not looking to sell those assets anymore. They're looking to extract the cash themselves. And I think that's something that's been, you know, almost forgotten about by the market. I mean, it was a story that was being pushed um, pretty considerably a few months ago. And now that's kind of disappeared and it's relying on its own um, its own capital investment up front, which we're probably not fans of at this point of the cycle. So I think we'd be a seller as well. I think the energy market is certainly one that we'd like some exposure to, uh, but we want to be more in those um, projects with the capital already sunk in and we're seeing some return now. And, and it is difficult. It's hard to find though. So, um, you know, we, we'd be looking to sell this one for sure. Okay. Well, that then rounds out the second half of the show. So let's review what we've been looking at. Uh, we began in the gold sector with DeGray Mining, not the preferred one of our uh, experts here. Uh, both have a hold on it, um, obviously uh, benefiting from where the gold price is going at the moment, but to both make the point that um, you need to be counter-cyclical. Uh, you're going to be buying when it's all looking pretty dire rather than uh, where it is at the moment. Uh, Domain, in uh, it's the real estate marketing firm, uh, both have a sell on it. Uh, much prefer REA, which is the dominant player, market leader in that space. Um, Seven West Media, it is a hold from Ben, a sell from Daniel. Uh, Daniel pointing out there was a lot of risk there. Uh, ben, also the fact that it is cyclical and it is a tough advertising environment, likely to get even more tricky as the uh, year wears on, given what's going on in the economy. Seven Group, however, different story, which uh, obviously does have a stake in um, Seven Media. Um, both seeing it as a buying opportunity, although Daniel's prepared to wait. Ben, happy to buy at these levels, uh, but there is a little concern from both just in regards to its recent acquisition of Borrell and also its exposure in the energy space. And speaking of which, Karun there, our final stock, um, a sell from both. All right, that is our show for today. So thanks to our guests. Uh, ben, thanks for joining us at TMS Capital. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And Daniel from Stock Doctor, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. It's good to be here and good to chat with you as well, Ben. Yep. Thanks, Daniel. All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at TV. Stay with us. Much more to come. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.